We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. This is the recently engaged Tyler here, and I'd like to tell you how you can end up with someone way out of your league. See, some would look at me and call me Megamind or the thumb from Spy Kids or Chicken Little, and they'd be right. But what do I have going for me? It's the performance of my package. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped, that is. Inside, you'll find the upgraded Lawnmower 4.0, Weed Whacker, Crop Preserver, Crop Reviver, Boxer Briefs, and a Shed Travel Bag. And if you couldn't figure out what those were from the description, I'd be happy to draw you pictures. Get the package to take care of the lackage in your package in the sackage by using our code GUILTY at checkout for 20% off your next order. You won't regret it. What's up, everybody? My name is Steven. I am back. I'm the host of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Joining me, as always, are Alex and Tyler. Alex had his week as the host, so thank you, Alex, for hosting in my absence. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good, and, and really, I win either way, because if people decide that they don't like you as the host anymore, uh, I'm going to leave them with the memory of me as host, but refuse to do it. And if people like you instead of me, then I still have less work to do. So really, I win either way. It's a win-win situation for you. Uh, Tyler, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing just fine. I'm glad things did not blow up while you were gone, like the White House in Independence Day. Everything worked out very, very well. And so I'm, I'm happy. Thank you, Alex, for hosting and taking care of things. I didn't want to. Uh, Stephen, how was your vacation? How are you? I'm doing great, man. It was a good vacation. Got to be able to see some family and friends that uh, I didn't see in a long time. Um, a couple of family members of mine are have asthma and so have been very high risk because of COVID. Mm. So uh, we've had to stay away uh, and be careful. So uh, it was great to get back into town. I went golfing for the, with my dad for the first time in like 15 years, which was, was really fun as well. Um, so definitely a good vacation. And Ooh, yeah, we def- um, I did. My, nice. my dad's my dad doesn't hit it as far as as he used to so <laughs> um, but it's all good and, and we want to wish everybody a happy independence day we are recording this on sunday the fourth um apparently this is a three-day celebration this time so hopefully you guys have had <laughs> some fun and will have some fun and uh we'll have some fun in this episode today so 
Uh, we've got a special treat for our audio listeners as well as our video listeners today. We have an interview that Alex and I did with Robert Mays of The Athletic. Um, really a big fan of that podcast in general and learn a lot every single time that they come on. So I really wanted to be able to reach out to him, get his thoughts on Brandon Staley and Justin Herbert, because that's been uh, some very relevant conversations that they've had. So the audio version of that interview is going to happen right now. As always, the video version of that interview is in a separate video. That being said, here's Robert Mays. Hey guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. Alex and I are so happy to be joined today by The Athletic's Robert Mays. You can find him on Twitter, at Robert Mays, and on The Athletic Football Show podcast, which is fantastic. If you've been following me, you've probably seen me talk about it already. Uh, so Robert, thanks for joining us today, man. How are you doing? I'm good. Happy to be here. Appreciate you guys having me. So obviously, you know, if, if people have been listening to your guys' podcast, you've heard them, you've heard you guys talk about you know, Brandon Staley and Justin Hurt quite a bit so far this offseason, which has been great for us because normally it's as Chargers fans, we get, you know, the Chargers are dark horse Super Bowl contenders conversation in April and then nothing for the summer. So it's been fun listening to your guys' conversation. Uh, you recently interviewed Brandon Staley. What was kind of your, your main takeaway from talking to him? Because you, you had talked to him before when he was an assistant, but now that he was the head coach of the Chargers, what was your main takeaway or two from interviewing him as the head coach of the Chargers? I really liked what he said about building the offense around Justin Herbert, not just around his skill set, but kind of making him the offense where the quarterback becomes the system. I thought that was a really interesting insight because he comes from a place where the offensive coordinator, the play caller was the offense. Sean McVay was yeah. the one pulling the levers. He was the one that was definitely in command of that. And you kind of, I, I think, I want to say it was Daniel Jeremiah or Sage Rosenfeld said this to me once about Kyle Shanahan's Kyle Shanahan wants to be, have the controller in his hand, right? He wants to be the one with the joystick. And I think that Sean McVay in LA was very similar to that. And they don't want that situation to happen with the chargers. They want Justin Herbert to have more control and have him be the one that's pressing all the buttons. And I thought that was a really interesting and important insight because that's the issue, right? When you have an offensive coordinator, that's, the one in command, if you lose that guy, you lose your offense. You lose what makes you good, what made that guy attractive in the first place. And it just doesn't feel like the Chargers are going to allow that to happen on several different levels. And I thought that was really smart because I've said multiple times, I just think that hiring an offensive-minded head coach is safer. It's a safer way to continue to sustain success because you need to be good offensively pretty much every single year to be good in the NFL. And if you have a defensive-minded head coach, the moment you have a good offensive coordinator, that guy can leave. And now what are you going to do? So right. I think insulating yourself from that eventuality or that option is really smart. And I think that's just another example of how he's thinking a couple steps ahead with things like this, which I find very impressive. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned kind of the offense defense debate. That was certainly a debate in the Chargers offseason. Uh, you had a coach like Brian Dable, who seemed like a favorite to get the job, and then they hire Brandon Staley. And so that kind of created these two camps. You know, they have to go offense to develop Justin Herbert and keep going in that direction, or, you know, do they boost the defense, right? So that was kind of the debate that Chargers fans got into these uh, two camps. Uh, where did you sort of fall in that debate? I mean, you kind of already said it, but how has that changed in the last six months? And, uh, you know, after speaking to Brandon Staley, 
when they when the idea that that Brian Dable was the favorite kind of emerged, I was excited about that as somebody who wanted to see Justin Herbert develop. I mean, you can see it, right? You can see what happened with Josh Allen, and I think that that would, should make any Chargers fan excited. If they were going to go with a defensive-minded head coach, I think this is the one I would want them to go with if I were a Chargers fan, just because I do think that he's a really interesting case, right? I mean, he said to me, I'm a quarterback that happens to coach defense. And I just think some of the things that he's done and some of the specifics of his background and everything else, I'm intrigued to see what he does. So if they were going to go with a defensive-minded head coach, I think this is the only route I would have been supportive of if I were a Chargers fan. So I would definitely be excited about it, even if it is a little bit counterintuitive and a little bit antithetical to what some Chargers fans wanted out of this process. Well, it's interesting because as Chargers fans, we should know by now that if someone's not being talked about, that's probably who the person is going to be selected. You know, there was, there was too much stock in Brian Dable. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, I personally felt, <laughs> felt victim to that, but it's all good. You know, we live and we learn. Um, I, I like you guys, I love learning about like defensive trends and offensive trends. And I think you guys did a really fantastic job on, on you know, recently kind of outlining those things. And I, I think it might have been Nate Tice who pointed out, you know, the Vic Vangio defense has kind of been slow rolling. Like it's been a while, like not many other teams are doing this kind of thing. Do you think Brandon Staley is going to be able to kind of take that torch and, and maybe become a trendsetter in the NFL? I think it's already happened. And if you look at some of the moves that have happened over the last few months, I mean, we have some proliferation of that system in a way that it never really happened with Vic Fangio. I mean, Sean Desai was on the staff with Vic Fangio in Chicago. He's now the defensive coordinator for the Bears. Joe Barry was with Brandon Staley in L.A. last year. He's now the coordinator for the Packers. Aubrey Pleasant, who was on the staff with Brandon Staley in L.A. last year, is now the passing game coordinator for the Lions. So I think some of these ideas are traveling and becoming a little bit more widespread than you already would have assumed because they're going to run them with the chargers. And my understanding is that even though Raheem Morris is now the defensive coordinator for the Rams, they're going to carry over a lot of those ideas. So if you look at just structurally how defenses in the NFL worked last season, if you look at a chart, for example, of how many teams are playing a too high show on early downs, it's really just the chart. It was really just the Rams and the Broncos in their own quadrant of that graph. Now, Let's say that there are six teams in that quadrant. It's literally three times as many. Now you have a quarter of the league. Like that's a monumental shift, even if it doesn't seem like it's that many more teams poaching these ideas. So I, we'll see what happens with this year, and we'll see if some more success from Brandon Staley and these concepts make it proliferate even further. But I already think it's happened in a way that it never happened before. I sort of wanted to ask what you think about sort of the use of linebackers maybe in that second level of the defense. Cause I feel like almost in romantic explicit detail, Brandon Staley gave you so much about the first, the third level, you know, how many times he's meeting per week with his defensive line uh, and the secondary and the chargers are a team that spent a first round pick on a guy like Kenneth Murray uh, a year ago and the Rams didn't really feature their linebackers a lot. I mean, you had Micah Kaiser, but I don't think he was a playmaker in the same way. Some of the other guys on that defense uh, were used to be. So what do you sort of think the plan is for them? Are they just sort of supposed to go with the motion of the game or do you think that they'll be kind of used more in, in positions that help them succeed? 
I think the Rams lack of linebacker usage is more an indication of the Rams linebacker talent and not of the value system that Brandon Staley has. Mm -hmm. So if you have a team with better linebackers, you're going to see more linebackers. The Rams had better talent on the back end. And if you can get the best pass defenders on the field consistently, that's what he was going to do. I think that last year, Staley and the Rams staff was looking for as many excuses as possible to get their linebackers out of past defense situations this year that may not have to happen. So I I think you're going to see a very different approach in a lot of ways with this chargers defense compared to what we saw with the Rams last year, one, because the personnel is drastically different. And I think that you have to build around it in that way Two, he knows he has to do things differently. You can't just stay stagnant. You can't just do the same things over again. And I think that that's one of his challenges this year. And I think that that's what really good offensive football coaches consistently do. You know, guys I've talked to that have had sustained success in the NFL or that have staved off regression in impressive ways. You know, their staffs consistently talk about how they're trying to innovate, how they're trying to find the change up to their fastball. And I think that's exactly the process that he's tried to undergo here over the last few months. Yeah. And to your point, you know, when he got to Chicago, he had Rokron Smith and, and Danny Trevathan and those two guys, you know, are, are very good playmakers. So I kind of want to shift gears a little bit to the Justin Herbert conversation. I'll kind of blend the two here. What do you think it was about the saints specifically, like the saints offense that drew Brandon Staley to kind of pair that offense with Justin Herbert because you know he ran a little bit of the Shanahan system last year and that was kind of you know everybody wanted him in you know a big Shanahan offense if they could have had the chance but you know going towards this offense seemed to be a little bit of a shift that not a lot of people were discussing when it comes to fits for Justin Herbert so studying Herbert you've been studying the offensive trends what do you like about pairing him with that state's offense so I, I know that the Shanahan offense become kind of the offense du jour in the NFL, right? I mean, a lot of people are adopting that system and hiring off that tree. But when you talk to people in the NFL, I remember specifically, I had a conversation, I don't think he'd mind me saying this. I remember specifically last year, I was talking to Matt LaFleur about something. And we were discussing just when you study, what you study and why and how you spend your time in the offseason. And he talked about the fact that he was studying the Saints offense. And everyone does. Every yearly, annually right. in the NFL, people watch the Saints. You go through all of the best offenses in the league, and the Saints are consistently an offense that other play callers in the league watch. Even if we don't talk about it as much because they, people don't get poached from there because good for Sean Payton. I'm <laughs> making it. I'm, I'm actually reading Jeff Duncan's book about Sean Payton and Drew Brees, and it just, yeah. it's really interesting some of the things that Payton apparently does to make life better for his assistants. Like, he treats them extremely well and they, all of this other stuff. They've done an incredible job of retaining their coaching staff. So that group has stayed intact. So we don't talk about people stealing those ideas as much. But everyone in the league studies that team and tries to find insight into what they're doing offensively. So I think it makes sense to look there, even if it doesn't seem apparent right on its face. And I think the reason that it makes sense is I think what made what has made Brandon Staley successful and what has kind of defined what defined his tenure as a defensive coordinator last year is he did things that made sense. And that may seem obvious, but he wasn't fighting the tide. He wasn't doing fighting uphill. It was, this is, this is going to make it harder for teams to create explosive plays against us. Let's do that. 
the Saints offense at its simplest level is just hard to defend with all of the different personnel groupings, with all of the different formations, with all of the layers of complexity that they kind of pound on top of their baseline offense. They're just hard to defend. They're hard to prepare for. And again, that may seem simple, but I think at the baseline level, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to get an offense that was really, really hard to defend as a defensive coordinator. And that's exactly what I think the Chargers are going to try to beat. Yeah. If you look at at those, sorry, if you look at the Shanahan offenses, there are some, I mean, Kyle Shanahan uses a ton of personnel groupings, right? And a lot of different formations, but there aren't that many plays. Like there, there are a lot of just baseline plays and little wrinkles off those plays. It's not the thickest playbook in the world. The Saints playbook is like 10,000 pages. (laughs) So I can completely understand why as a defensive coordinator, you just think the prep and the work that has to go into defending that offense is the biggest lift and why that would make a lot of sense as your choice as a defensive minded head coach. Yeah, and, and going back to the offensive coordinators, you brought up Kyle Shanahan specifically. Do you think that that shift towards we're just going to put this in the hands of the quarterback primarily with Justin Herbert, with a lot of these guys coming into the league, is that something that's going to spread? Um, you know, I guess it, that will depend on the success of it. And also just kind of a follow up to that, like, why hasn't it happened yet? Because we have all these guys that sort of, have all you know the most physical ability that we've seen out of NFL quarterbacks in years uh, and it just feels like it's been still kind of based in the OC up until now um, so what are your kind of your thoughts on that I think it's just a, a product of the fact that the Shanahan offense gets the most out of its quarterbacks and it can lift average quarterbacks into being functional guys right I think that's yeah. a big part of it is that if if there's an offensive system that can elevate its quarterbacks consistently over and over and over again that's going to take over but if your quarterback can do more if your quarterback is capable of being more than just a trigger man and a point and shoot type of guy then you can go with a different sort of approach offensively like the browns don't ask baker mayfield to do a lot at the line of scrimmage he's got some cans and he's got some run passes but there isn't a lot of control and i can understand why the chargers would look at somebody like justin herbert who is incredibly smart his football acumen is apparently very, very good and say, we can give him however much we want to. We don't have to limit him. So the Shanahan offense is a cheat code and just the path of least resistance with most quarterbacks in the league. But if you can put more on your guy, like Josh Allen is a really good example. Josh Allen is really smart. <laughs> Josh Allen is a very, very smart person in a way that people is it surprises some people because he's a little yeah. big and he like it's kind of a big goof when he plays, but he's actually very smart. And they put a ton on him with protections and everything else. So if you can do that, then why not do that? So I feel like that's the direction that the Chargers are trending in. Yeah, I think that's going to be fascinating to watch. And, you know, one of my favorite conversations and podcast episodes from you guys is when you did that, uh, the quarterback draft episode. And I, I was curious, obviously, as a Chargers fan to see where Justin Herbert would end up. You took him before Josh Allen. Um, what was kind of your confidence level heading into that? And in, hey, like I'm going to take Justin Herbert here, and you know everybody's kind of talking about the sophomore slump. It, it doesn't seem like you think that's going to be an issue. I don't, and and maybe I'm wrong about this, and I completely understand the efficiency under pressure numbers and how that stuff comes back to earth, and I get that. I totally understand that. 
But I went back and I watched three games from the second half of the season before we did that podcast. And I expected to be less enthused about Justin Herbert than I remembered being at the end of the season. You know, when you do some forensics on something, you really look at it up close. It's like, oh, this isn't as shiny as I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. And I thought the opposite. I went back and I watched, I think I watched the Bronco game, the, the Raiders game, and one more game in the back half of the year. And I was more impressed than I was at the end of last season, just in some of the specifics and just the way he navigates the pocket and some of the, just the downfield accuracy and how he can place balls to every level of the field. And even if the efficiency under pressure comes back to earth a little bit, he was a rookie quarterback last year in in terrible circumstances. I mean, they had the worst offensive line in the league, arguably the weapons are fine. Right. But Austin Eckler missed half the year. And then you have Keenan Allen and banged up guys like, are we going to pretend that Jalen Guyton is somebody that they were going to count on coming into last season? I think yeah. it worked out really well. The amount of speed they had really worked to his benefit. If you just think about some of the deeper concepts that they could throw. I mean, that touchdown he threw against the Bucks. There's like one other quarterback, in my opinion, on planet Earth that probably maybe two, maybe Allen and Mahomes in their current iteration could make that throw. That's a special, special type of arm talent. So that speed works, even if it's just raw speed and not much else. But I just think that (laughs) I think we expect so much of these guys early on. And even if your performance in a clean pocket and when situation is a little bit more ideal is stickier moving forward, it's not as if he was bad there last year and it was his first season. So I just think even if the pressure numbers come down to earth a little bit, and even if we don't see that ridiculous play under fire and when the pocket is closing in and everything else, he's going to be better in other areas of the game. I'm just betting on the talent. I'm betting on the talent and everything else that we've heard about the guy between the ears. I just think that when I watch him play, even if there are some things that are going to be a little bit wonky with his numbers and it's harder to sustain and all of that stuff. I just truly believe in the bundle of abilities that he has moving forward. And I know I picked him ahead of Josh Allen in that draft and it's, for a couple different reasons. One is the contract, right? I mean, we're going into year two, you still have three more cheap years of this guy. And that is, let's say he's really good this year. And let's, I mean, I, which I believe he could be, and you roll in as the chargers to next off season. And Mike Williams is now not not on under contract for $15 million. The cap goes back up to 208. And you could be rolling with some real dough next year and try to make a push for this thing with Justin Herbert as your quarterback, which I think is an is an advantage. I also anticipated that Josh Allen would go earlier in the draft, and I had made up my mind that <laughs> I was taking Justin Herbert at that spot. So there are a couple of different kind of considering factors here. Yeah, and I think we talk about the roster and how good on paper it looks every year, right? Steve, Steven mentioned kind of the preseason hype that the Chargers get a lot of the time. Uh, and, and something that's affected that in previous years has been injuries. I mean, injuries have just been such a devastating blow, whether it was Derwin James last year, obviously. Uh, Joey Bosa had to miss some games. What do you kind of make of the Chargers' depth at this point? I know you posted that uh, gift, you know, no question about it. I'm ready to get hurt again uh, <laughs> a couple months ago. Um, what do you kind of make of their depth and is this a team that may be a little bit smarter about injuries now that they have the whole sports performance angle and Staley is the head coach or, you know, is it, are they just kind of one you know piece away from being what they were in previous years? I think the depth is concerning at certain parts of the roster, right? 
like you need some breaks to go your way. Like let's say the Sante Samuel Jr. ends up starting as your other outside corner and that piece falls into place, but there's not a lot of depth in the secondary. If they get banged up in that area, it becomes a problem yeah. in a hurry. Up front, there's not a lot of depth, period. I mean, it's like yeah. there just aren't that many guys in the front seven. It, if they get hurt, they're in trouble. And that's why I think that if I were lining them up with the best rosters in the AFC, the true, true contenders in the AFC, I just think their range of outcomes is wider than a team like the Browns. Because if Greg Newsom gets hurt in week one, then Greedy Williams just becomes your third corner. It's just they have so much depth at important areas that the Chargers just don't have. So I think the Chargers best case scenario, I think it's right there. I mean, maybe a notch down from the Chiefs and the Bills and the Browns, but I think in the same neighborhood. But I also think their floor is much, much lower just because the depth isn't there and there's so much more uncertainty. But I think the sports performance side of this, and I think offensively it's the same way, right? I mean, like right. you have aging players. Blog has been consistently hurt. You're relying on a rookie left tackle. It's just a more fragile situation than it is in some other places, even if I'm excited about it. And I think the sports performance side is a really interesting point to bring up. Injuries are not consistent from season to season for the most part, except in two very specific situations. The Chargers are always hurt and the Rams are never hurt. The Rams have led the league or been in the top five and adjusted games lost pretty much every single year over the last five or six years. And maybe there's something that they're doing. They have locked into something sports performance wise that has allowed them to avoid some of that stuff. And if you look at the ways they've treated the preseason, when they've rested guys, Andrew Whitworth getting a lot of time off. And I think that's something really interesting that Staley mentioned to me during the podcast about how as an NFL head coach, can't treat everybody the same. There are guys that are my age and getting into their mid thirties on that team. Those guys shouldn't be pushed as hard or practice in the same way that Asante Samuel Jr. or Rayshon Slater should be. And I just think understanding that and giving your guys the best chance to succeed and using all of the available information is a smart process. It's the right way to go about this. Yeah. And if he can have that, if he can bring, that same kind of mentality and performance to Brian Bulaga, like, you know, this, this team ceiling is that much better because we, you know, we've kind of joked a little bit about, you know, the backups on the offensive line, granted the starters are better, um, but the backups are, are definitely concerning in a lot of those areas. Um, so this has been great. This is the last one that I will ask today. Uh, and then, you know, we'll, we'll have the, the ending of the conversation, obviously. And so uh, gun to your head, Robert, What's the what's the record for this Chargers team going this year? Like, if you had to make a prediction, you mentioned the ceiling, you mentioned the floor. Where do you kind of land on on predicting where this team ends up? Ten and seven. That's that's my like safe safe proclamation here. I think they are a borderline playoff team who ends up finishing second in their division to Kansas City. Yeah. That's that's kind of how we have felt as well. So yeah, you know, I, I still feel like you mentioned next offseason season feels like the big push you know we'll see what happens with mike williams um joe lombardi thinks mike williams is gonna have a huge season so we'll have to see about that one uh but robert this has been great man uh where can our listeners find the podcast and find you guys on twitter and uh you've had some great summer projects so far but what do you guys have coming up in the future so our off-season interview series on the Athletic Football Show, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, all of that stuff. We had Chris Ballard on today. 
Uh, the Colts GM will have another GM on next week. So we've had, I think, four GMs, a couple head coaches, including Brandon Staley. Uh, it's been fun. Uh, scheduling it has been the bane of my existence for the last three months. But <laughs> the actual end product has been enjoyable. And we're going to have, I think, two podcasts next week. One, the last interview and then one more show. And then after that, we're going to do one a week for the following two weeks before camp. And then camp starts. And I am living out of a suitcase from July 27th <laughs> through August 15th. I'm going all around the country. We will be at camps. We'll be have, you know, check-ins from different camps, you know, how teams are looking, what the vibe is at certain places. I will be at Chargers camp for a couple of days, you know, during that stretch. So we're going to be coming to you three days a week during all of training camp. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm ready for actual things to start happening that we can start talking about. Oh, it's been so nice getting things like back to normal and like seeing fans at like the Olympics and like even the college softball tournament. Like that was so much fun for me. Um, I reached Robert- out to the Chargers yesterday and the, one of their PR guys who I've known for years it responded. He's like, it's going to be pretty much business as usual for us. Like you'll be able to talk to players and everything else. I was like, I can't even tell you how amazing that email yeah. is. Like, <laughs> It's just so, so nice to hear because I love going to Chargers camp. It's one of my favorite places because I used to live in L.A. So I used to go all the time. And, you know, I got to know those guys a little bit and I you know, pretty much would talk to Philip every single year, at least once. And, you know, I've gotten to know Keenan Allen a little bit and just it's a really good place. I've had a lot of excellent football conversations. So the idea of getting to go back and do that with a staff that I find really interesting and a situation that I find really interesting. I can't wait to be back in Costa Mesa. It just feels like it's been forever since we've gotten a chance to do that kind of stuff. It really has, man. It really has. Well, Robert, this has been great, man. Chargers fans, make sure and give them a follow. Check out the Athletic Football Podcast. One of the best in the business and just, you know, great all-around dude. So, Robert, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you soon. No problem, guys. Appreciate the time. See you. All right, Alex, any takeaways that you had from our discussion with Robert Mays? Well, I'll start with the podcast first that he did with Brandon Staley. I thought it was funny that, you know, Brandon, they spent like 40 minutes talking about the defense, um, yeah. which is as natural. And then they spend like seven talking about, you know, whatever, <laughs> Justin Herbert, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, the interview was really fun. It was fun to pick his brain and sort of what he thinks about Justin Herbert and all that. And I think the quote that really stuck out to me was when he was talking about the fact that Brandon Staley can't get stagnant. Um, sort of mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, we can look at all these videos of the Rams defense or, you know, his his tenures in, in previous places as another coach. Um, but, you know, I think that he's going to have to do different things with the Chargers. So, you know, maybe 60, 70 percent of the plays will be the Rams. But, you know, you'll have to have 30, 40 percent kind of new stuff thrown in. So, you know, even if you watch yeah. film, it just won't look exactly uh, like what you look like. Because Staley just has to keep innovating. Yeah, to piggyback off of that, I mean, kind of in the same vein of the conversation, you know, Mays talked about, you know, the lack of linebacker usage with the Rams wasn't necessarily because he didn't want to use them. It was more just a lack of talent that he was, like he said, looking, Staley was looking for any excuse to get linebackers out of pass coverage, just based on the personnel they have. But the Chargers have stronger personnel in that area, we think. And so, like you said, they can't stay stagnant. Like, yeah, that's what he did with the Rams, but the Rams have a better overall secondary in terms of the, the, the number of players. And I guess not, not proven, but it seems like Staley had a better secondary there, at least certainly with Jalen Ramsey. 
And so, but here you have better linebackers. So, you know, how does that work in your pass coverage? Don't stay stagnant. Let's see how it goes. Um, the, only one, eh, the only other one I'll add to is, you know, that the Chargers have this range of outcomes, like he said, for this season, because the, the range of outcomes is so much wider because of the injuries and the fact that they lack depth where, you know, he talks about how the Chargers are, seem to be always hurt and the Rams seem to never be hurt. And for whatever reason, like the Rams have locked into something, you know, whether it be sports performance or preseason management with someone like Whitworth, where, you know, they're just not injured that much. So, right. you know, if Staley can bring that to this team, even just a little bit, you know, it, it's a, it would help their range of outcomes. Although I do like that his outcome record prediction was basically where we stand. So I feel good about ours. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I was able to learn a lot from him and it was kind of comforting to, to you know, re- learn that someone else who's, who's really in the know is kind of predicting the same kind of outcomes for the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as it pertains to the linebackers, I went back and looked because, I, you know, I mentioned in the interview, you know, Roquan Smith and uh, Danny Trevathan. And mm-hmm. in 2018, when Smith was a rookie, the two of them logged over 2000 combined snaps. And, you know, wow. you have to get to like seven linebackers with the Rams to get that many snaps. So right. um, it, it's going to be really interesting because I like I think he's going to be able to play Murray and Tranquil quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and stay in kind of the nickel package with the two of those linebackers on the field. And, and then, you know, you have four rushers and then you have five secondary players. So I think that's going to be, you know, the package that we see the most often. But I just think this Chargers defense, you know, despite the concerns of depth that the three of us have, I think he has more options with the Chargers than he did with the Rams because, you know, the Rams, you you, ha- you have to play to the secondary. Like, you had to get six defensive backs on the field almost on every single play because you just didn't have the linebacker talent. And, you know, there's no way. You know, you got to keep one-on-ones for Aaron Donald. So you have to – you absolutely have to have five rushers on the field. Like, that's the only way that you can keep one-on-ones for Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, excuse me. Mm-hmm. So I-, I think with the Chargers, he has more options on defense. I really do. Like, you know, I think the Rams – we're a historically great defense and I don't necessarily think the chargers will get to that kind of level, but, you know, Staley has talked about being multiple and being able to mix things up, you know, pretty much at nauseum at this point. And I think, he, I think he is, has a better chance of doing that with the chargers than he does with the Rams, at least in terms of personnel packages. Yeah. All right. So thank you again, Robert Mays for, uh, you know, joining us out in that interview was great. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, and that kind of segues us into, you know, the overall depth on the roster, if you will. That's kind of been the main conversation uh, in, in terms of national media. We had, uh, I believe it was an NFL Network article that ranked the Chargers as the fourth most complete article. And then like the next day, PFF ranked them 20th um, in terms of roster construction. So we're going to have that discussion now. Where where would they rank in terms of how is the roster constructed? How deep is it? How complete is it? Um, so Tyler, we'll start with you on this one. Um, are, are you kind of in the middle of, as I assume like I am, I'm kind of going to be going to be kind of in the middle. So where do you kind of land on where this team ranks in terms of complete roster construction? Yeah, it's, it's definitely in the middle for a couple of reasons. You know, first off the fourth overall ranking, I just, I can't get behind that because to me, the only position that I have any faith in like position group that I have faith in going into the season is the quarterback. And he's only played 15 games. And like, that's the guy I have the most confidence in. After that, you have a running back who, you know, running back group, Love Eckler, 
injuries and and the rest of the group isn't kind of an unknown wide receivers very top heavy love keenan allen everything else is unknown offensive line i think would be the next best overall position group at least in terms of the starters but they've never played together and it's very unknown slater is still a rookie and i don't know how they're going to play together tight ends you're led by a 34 year old tight end i'm not saying that's a bad thing i don't know if that makes you like a you know set at that position defensive tackle who major question marks there's no true star there edge edge is good but you're, you're injured you're they're probably not going to play the whole season both of them corners are unproven strong safety or safety overall top heavy superstar always injured and then, you know, I assume that this is discussed in both articles, but like the special team is not complete either. I think to be a complete roster, you also have to round out your special teams. These, right. This is not a team with rounded out special teams. So being top four is a little odd, but bottom bottom 20, I guess, being 20th or whatever it was, you know, I think that's a little too far back. I do think that the Chargers are, they do, they are top heavy. Like they do have a lot of good stars when they're healthy. And so I do think they deserve to be at least in the upper half of, of the league, not in the, in the 20s, but that the depth behind them and so many question marks at other positions. Yeah, I fall right in the middle. Couldn't tell you where I'd put them. That would assume that I would have watched or looked at every single roster and every single player, yeah. which I don't think even the people that wrote the article did. But <laughs> certainly in, you know, I, I don't think I would be fourth, but I wouldn't be 20th. Call it, I don't know. What, who? Okay, what would I be closer to? I'll say I'd be closer to this the 20th ranking than fourth. Yeah, I, I think it's tough because I don't, I don't really have an exact ranking either. Like I haven't looked at every roster. Um, I think mm-hmm. I would maybe put them closer to four than 20, but you know, I think maybe they're kind of at the end of the top 10 uh, in terms of roster construction, but like the PFR, uh, the PFF article, I actually think in terms of the reasoning, I don't necessarily agree with their ranking, but they were like, well, you know, they're kind of banking on a lot of things happening, right? They're banking totally. on, okay, Chris Harris stays healthy and he's good in the slot, right? Banking on Derwin stays healthy, uh, you know, for a full 17 games and you're banking on Joey stays healthy, right? And and not just that, but also, you know, the players pick up this scheme very easily, right? In, in this right. new transition. Uh, and, you know, you're banking on, say, uh, Herbert not regressing, which I think is a safe bet. But who knows, right? Um, and then you talk about the offensive line, who uh, all new guys, and we're probably going to talk about this when we break down the offensive line in our position groups, but it's like their first game is at Washington. Like, that, I mean, that's arguably mm-hmm. the best defensive line in the league, and they won't have played a, a serious snap of football prior to that. Um, so I think it'll be interesting. But, you know, you look at the potential and you're like, okay, Justin Herbert, Joey Bosa, and Derwin James, and all those guys are on the field. Uh, for at least, you know, let's say 14 out of 17 games, then yeah, I think they're pretty easily uh, a top 10 roster. But the depth is concerning. And it is what Mays kind of pointed out in his range of outcomes comment, like Tyler said earlier, where if you have a team like the Browns, who I believe are a true top five roster, right, you can just plug mm-hmm. Reedy Williams in if your cornerback goes down, right? If Michael Davis goes down, it's like, okay, well, you know, I guess Asante Samuel is our CB2 and we're moving Chris Harris back to CB1 or you're moving face on there. Neither to me are like the most comfortable answer. Right. So like, uh, I, I think that's the problem in, in, in terms of how this team is constructed a little bit just from a depth standpoint. So it's like May said, you know, this could be a 12 or 13 win team if everything goes right. And this can be, you know, a seven or eight win team if everything goes wrong. Yeah. And I, you know, to be fair, like I think, 
that is most teams in the league, right? Like if you have certain injuries to certain players, like you're probably, you know, going to be losing a lot of games, but there are teams like to me, when I think of like a top five roster, like, you know, Mays and, and Alex have both mentioned the Browns. I think you could throw, you know, some other teams in there. I, I wouldn't throw the chiefs in there in terms of complete roster, but you know, if they lose Tyree kill, like they'll be okay. Like because of their other pieces. So mm-hmm. if the chargers lose Joey Bosa or Derwin James, like it's going to be a struggle. I think, you know, offensively, they'll have specifically the system and, and the horses around Justin Herbert to kind of overcompensate for some defensive injuries more so than they did last year. Um, but I, I just think, like you, like you guys said, it's top. It's a top-heavy roster, and so for me, that that makes it hard for me to put them in the top five. Like I, I would, if I went through every single roster, I would probably have the Chargers in like the ten to. 14 range in terms of being a complete roster mm-hmm. because you know like tyler said i think you have to take into and in, take special teams into account here as well and like there there are position groups that i'm like good to okay like with the the depth like i feel yeah. pretty good about the depth at linebacker after Kenneth murray and yeah, Trinkle. like i'm good with kaiser white and nick nick neiman and, you know, whoever, if they choose Amen, Agba, Namiga, or whoever the, the fifth one is. I'm okay with the depth at cornerback. Like, I don't feel great about Brandon Face on starting, but, like, I, I at least have, you know, some confidence in him being a serviceable player. You know, I'm okay with the depth at receiver with the addition of Josh Palmer. Yeah. But, you know, offensive line, like, Scott Questenberry and Brandon Hymas are your two probably swing guys. And then you have you know, probably Trey Pipkins as your swing outside tackle. So that's not great. You know, who's starting at safety if Nasir Adderley goes down? Like there are some question marks for me where I would kind of rank this probably, like I said, in the 10 to 14 range. You and Alex kind of talked about the corner depth on on Twitter or through Messenger, I forget. You know, I think you're a little bit more okay with the depth. Alex is terrified of the depth, I think. I think I, I think I lean terrified, honestly. Like, I don't know if you're assuming that like, okay, you know, if Asante, Samuel Jr. is the outside guy, Davis, the other outside guy, Harris is the slot guy, you know, then, and then everything after that is depth. Like I'm pretty terrified of the depth behind them. Honestly, the whole secondary scares the hell out of me. Yeah. And I think it's just like Michael Davis really kind of grew last season, right. As quarterback and you really can't teach his intangibles, right? Like, He's a guy that is six three and can run a four three. Like Chris Harris, I mean, we've seen what happens when you put him on Tyreek Hill. Um, it's not pretty. So I think that's kind of an issue. And you know, I don't think it's the worst spot on the defense because I'd probably look to edge um, as something that you know we need to see get better. For me, it's just like, yeah, the the depth is the issue. But again, like May said. I think that if everything goes right, sure. Um, but to me, the the reality is probably that they end up somewhere between 10 and 14, which, you know, I think they can still be, you know, a 9 to uh, 12 win team with. I don't think that's out of the picture. Um, it's not yeah. quite like if everything goes wrong. But for now, I, th- I just think we have to say realistically, not everybody is going to stay healthy, but maybe not everybody will get hurt, especially with the new sports performance angle, which we talked about kind of in, in that interview as well. Yeah, that's a, that's obviously something that we'll have to kind of see how that pans out. But 
you know, I, I don't know what it was last year and the year before that. It just kind of seemed like all the injuries really just steamrolled and, and piled up. So um, if the Chargers can even be like semi healthy, like we've seen what they, the roster can do, you know, in 2018 when they went 12 and four and the roster was like kind of healthy. <laughs> so if this team's able to stay kind of healthy again, you know, I think yeah, absolutely they could reach that ceiling. So um, any other thoughts on the, the roster guys until, and then if not, we're going to move on to our discussion on tight ends. No, that's about it. All right. So we're going to continue our series of breaking down these position groups. Uh, we're kind of balancing it out, you know, offense and defense. And so today we're going to talk about the tight ends slash one fullback or two, depending on how you view uh, Hunter Camp Moyer. So um, <laughs> let's talk about these tight ends and, and, and the fullback. Um, Alex, what's your biggest question when it comes to, you know, looking at this tight end group? I think the biggest question is really just that Jared Cook um, and what's what's the drop off from Hunter Henry? Because I don't think there will be a significant drop off in the passing game. I think he'll be fine. Um, but Hunter Henry, you know, as I was doing the stats when I'm kind of working on this tight end article right now, Hunter Henry had 79 pass blocking snaps last year. Uh, Jared Cook, the last two years combined, has had 14. Um, and that I think is problematic. Um, and it, it, it makes it a little bit different, I think, in terms of how you're going to construct the tight end and fullback group around him. Um, so like, to me, that's kind of why you lean more Donald Parham than Steven Anderson, because Donald Parham is a better blocker and is more consistent game to game as a receiver. So I would kind of prefer him over Steven Anderson, despite those two really good receiving games he had at the end of last year. And he also has that six, eight frame, which lends itself to blocking. Um, you know, they also have Trey McKitty who maybe they envision as a tight end of the future, but you know, was primarily drafted in the short term to be a blocker. Right. So obviously he makes the roster, um, and you know, despite all the, you know, crap we gave him for blocking last year, I was actually looking at the numbers and Gabe neighbors had the chargers highest pass blocking grade out of their group last year. He had a 79.2, uh, grade on PFF, which is not the end all be all, but in about 20 snaps, he did okay. Um, so, you know, I know Tyler's still mad. Bobby Holly didn't make the team, but <laughs> I think neighbors uh, it has to make the team as the fullback. They need to be able to use him um, in that way. And so to me, the, the, the four tight ends that I kind of have making it are, uh, I think we discussed this in the uh, roster breakdown episode, are, are Cook, uh, McKitty, and, you know, you'll have Parham and you'll have neighbors. And that's really four tight ends and fullbacks. Um, and I'll, I'll be curious to see how many they carry because um, they could go three, they could go five uh, if they really wanted to. They went four last year, uh, actually, well, five last year if you count neighbors. Um, and mm. so I don't know if they'll do that again because they already have four running backs. Uh, they're probably going to carry four safety. So it's like, do you really need five tight end fullback guys? Um, I don't know that that'll be a question they have to answer, but in general, I guess my question is, uh, or the main questions are, uh, does Cook really drop off in the passing game from Henry? I don't think so. Uh, as of now, I think it'll be relatively the same production, just because I think Justin Herbert will make it work, and I think Cook is capable uh, as a receiver. And uh, how do you make up for his blocking? Uh, that, 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 I think, is the two kind of biggest issues right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. That kind of rolls into what I was thinking as well. You know, who steps up and becomes the team's Virgil Green? Not that that's all you need to be. You can be better. Have at it. You can have four receptions mm -hmm. in a year. 
but you know, one of the, <laughs> you know, Steven and I graded, um, Hey man, that third reception though was awesome. It was awesome. I don't know. The guy averaged 16 yards per catch or whatever. So, I mean, have at it. But um, I think Steven and I, I don't know if Jason or Alex, who was, yeah, it was Alex. We all graded, you know, the guys in the first quarter of last season. And Virgil Green was like a top five player for us, not in terms of, you know, the value, but in terms of what he did, yeah. he was like one of the best players the Chargers had and very underrated. And, you know, Arjun resent me a graphic. And, you know, when Green was on the team and Herbert was starting, you know, the Chargers, you know, four out of five of the games that they had with that combination, they were above the 50th percentile in EPA per play. But after Green goes down, only five of the next 10 were the even above the 50th percentile. And like, I'm not saying that, you know, that Green is the causation. There's not like, you know, causation here that Green just makes the offense so much better. But they were yeah. able to do some work with Green, whether it be using him as a blocker or in his few moments as a receiver. And it looked like after the bye, they were really taking that step forward with their tight ends against Jacksonville and then green gets hurt and the chargers don't have another game with an EPA per play better than that Jacksonville game until eight weeks later against the Raiders who were awful and were really banged up that game. So I really do think they, they kind of missed his presence. So who is the guy that steps up and becomes that? Is it Parham? Is it neighbors? It's not Anderson. It's not cook. Is it comp comp camp Meyer camp Meyer camp Meyer. Camp Meyer. Yeah, is it one of those guys? I don't know, but I'd love to see how they use it, especially because, as you talked about in Jeff Duncan's book, they talked about three tight end sets. And so who who's the second guy? Who's the third guy? Who makes this offense that much better? I get. I mean, my vote's Parham, I guess, but there's not a whole lot of great options to choose from. Maybe McKitty. I don't know. Steven, you are much more, I guess, a higher or more well-knowledge, I suppose, about Trey McKitty, uh, calling him before the draft. And, you know, can he do this in year one or is this kind of like a, you know, future down the line sort of thing? Well, I think it's a future down the line thing just because Cook is going to play so much. Like I, I okay. think McKitty will be asked to be the blocker. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I'm interested to see, though, is that, you know, when it came to having a six blocker, the old staff always preferred it to be Virgil Green. Mm-hmm. And the Saints have kind of mixed it up like they mix it up quite a bit with Josh Hill. And their six offensive linemen played quite a lot because, you know, they would bring him mm. in for heavy packages, which is something we didn't really see, you know, the Chargers do almost ever under Anthony Lynn. Um, so that that could be a good way to kind of mitigate, you know, having Jared mm. Cook as as a terrible blocker is, you know, maybe bring in Scott Questenberry for some plays or Trey Pipkins. And, you know, if that gets them some more reps, you know, I'm, I'm all for that. So um, I think Donald Parham can absolutely develop into a good blocker, right? Like Alex talked about his frame. Like mm-hmm. how many other six, eight tight ends are out there? I don't think there's a single one. So, you know, Donald Parham absolutely has the frame. He's got the size. He's got the physicality to kind of develop into that. Um, but I think right away it's going to be, you know, McKitty and neighbors are going to be kind of the blockers. And, you know, getting back to neighbors for a second, it is kind of funny because like we, we all assume that it would be Holly because, Anthony Lynn wanted to run the ball, wanted to be a power offense. And it's funny because they almost, it almost feels like they chose neighbors with this current staff in mind. Like if you look at where this current <laughs> staff call. has been, yeah. like, it, you know, they love their Kyle Juszczyk types that are, that are a little bit more receiver than blocker. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of funny that like the last staff who wanted a powerful back chose the receiving fullback for the future staff. So it's just kind of funny. No, that is funny. They want to be multiple. And it's funny. The thing is, though, and you're right, like they did pick up for the next staff because they got the multiple tight end fullback and he had like, what, three receptions and two carries? Like that's the yeah. most they did with him. 
Yeah, and I also think it was interesting that they didn't really bring in any competition for for neighbors. I mean, I know Camp Moyer is a thing, but you know, Stevens, you know, brains. Just me. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, Steve, yeah. Stevens' ravings about Camp Moyer are more like, you know, oh well, what if you convert him to fullback and he has like a full board in his room, you know, drawing out a conspiracy theory about this. Um, <laughs> you know, we got to put the big gritty white tight end from the Pac-12 at fullback. Um, but you know, so I, I think that, uh, you know, he, he can work out and, but I, I thought it was telling that they didn't really bring in a proper fullback to compete with yeah. neighbors, uh, which kind of lends its credence to, you know, they saw enough from him, uh, at least last year from film or whatever to say, all right, you know, you're going to probably be on the roster unless, you know, they just go crazy and go no tight end or no fullbacks. But, uh, I don't think that's going to kind of happen with the current tight end makeup of this team. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was, I think I want to say it was Joe Lombardi said that, you know, they kind of have, you know, viewed uh, neighbors as one of the smarter players on the offense. So, you know, if he's able to kind of pick things up quickly, you know, I think that obviously would, would help him out. And, you know, he is Justin Herbert's roommate and best friend on the team. So that I'm sure that kind of weighed in a little bit. Um, I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited to see if neighbors gets a bigger role this year because, you know, I think Jared Cook, like Alex was talking about, I think Jared Cook will have relatively the same kind of production that he had in New Orleans. So last year, um, I think Hunter Henry had like 85 targets or something like that. But Jared Cook had 73 targets, 46 receptions, 572 yards and seven touchdowns. So he was kind of consistently, you know, like the third in line in targets. I don't think that's going to be I think. We'll probably see like 40 catches, 500 yards, and, and five or six touchdowns from Cook. So I'm just kind of curious to see where all that production ends up because Hunter Henry, you know, he was so involved in the offense. He had so many targets, so many catches, not super involved in the red zone until kind of the end of the season. But I'm just kind of curious to see where that production ends up because it can't all go to Jared Cook and it won't. Um, I think maybe some of it could go to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, but you know, there's, there's a good opportunity for Parham and, and McKitty and potentially neighbors to kind of be more involved this year than they were last year. Uh, I mean, one of you guys can check PFF and, and see if this was the case, but I think also something in Jared Cook's production was that they were playing him less at the end of last year um, and that they got some more tight ends involved. So I think that was the case that his snaps did decrease um, as the season went on. So I think that'll be interesting because like, yeah, you know, yeah, I think he had 500 yards right about. So is that really a 16 game sample size or is that something, you know, he can add on to if he's really the tight end one here? Um, I think that'll be interesting. Yeah. As yes. far as the snaps goes, it's kind of like the same. I mean, there are seven mm. games where he had like 18, but like he finished the year with 29, 26 and 20 in the middle mm. of the season. There's somewhere he has 20, 19 and 13. So I don't I mean, yeah, there are some higher games, like as a 35 game, but I think the snaps are generally about the same. Oh, wait, I'm looking at past snaps. Oops. Yeah. Whatever. Point um, is, overall, looks about the same. Yeah. In terms of the Saints, um, he logged um, 584 total snaps in 2019, and he logged uh, 531 in 2020. So it was pretty much about the same. The thing that, you know, it's going to be so much fun to watch with Jared Cook is like you couldn't have more different tight ends than Jared Cook and Hunter Henry playing a team. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that I, I wanted to mention here is that um, his target percentage um, 
changed quite a bit last year. He actually had 15% of his targets came in the deep range, uh, which was his most since he was with the Packers in 2016. So the Saints actually used him quite a bit as a deep threat last year, more so than in previous years. In 2019, he used him as a as a deep on 13% of his routes. So it's only 2%, but you know, setting a career high essentially in, in deep targets at age 33, like that's pretty insane to me. So it's just gonna be fun to see how they use him how they use Parm. I feel like those two are pretty similar players, right? Like you want to use Parm as a deep threat, as a red zone guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do they kind of balance out, you know, the deep targets at the tight end position, which is, it's just going to be so much fun because, uh, you know, we didn't see Hunter Henry have hardly any deep targets last year. Yeah. The, the ability to launch it to a, a tight end as a deep target, it would be great for this offense. What do you think was the difference then in cooks? Like, why did he make that jump? Was you think it was, you know, Mays talked about the Saints playbook is just ridiculously huge and impossible to figure out, you know, but, you know, it's not like they lost a deep threat that I would think of. So he would have to make up, pick up that slack because Mike Thomas is out. But I don't think that's really their deep target. And then is it just because Taysom Hill was in and he can chuck it further than 15 yards? Or <laughs> what do you think the reason was for his? That injuries? could be it, actually. I, I wonder if I can find like a breakdown of when those targets came from the deep range, because, you know, Taysom Hill probably did have some kind of effect on, on you know, who was getting the deep mm-hmm. targets there. Let me see if I can find like the specific games or anything. Which is, I'm actually surprised it was only a 2% increase. If, if you know, Taysom Hill plays so many games. Although I don't remember how many, how many games did Brees play in 2019? He played it. Uh, I think 10. I think, oh, okay. I think 11 if you count the playoff game. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Okay. Cause he got yeah, the Teddy Bridgewater thing and he hurt his hand. Right. Yeah. Okay. So um, Taysom in, when was Taysom starting? Do you guys remember? Uh, the last because, like four weeks or mi- maybe. Okay. I don't... So in the first few weeks, you know, he's averaging like 12 yards per catch, 15, 16. Uh, and then in weeks, I think, I think Taysom started week 12. Um, I want to say so. Anyways, in the, in the later part of the season, he you know he averaged 28 yards per catch against the Falcons, 32 against the Niners, 28 against the Titans, mm-hmm. and then 22 against the Panthers. So it, it jumped up more towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of interesting there. Yeah, I think it was against the Falcons he started. I'm trying to find the – I don't know why it's so hard to find Taysom Hill stats. But, yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think we know that one of those touchdowns that Jared Cook had was against the Chargers, uh, the you know, <laughs> get that big play uh, down yeah. the field. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that his passing production will be relatively the same as kind of a Hunter Henry season, actually. I mean, if it's 100 yards less, I don't think that's a big concern because I don't think it's that hard to find maybe Parham adding 50 yards to his total or more. Um, plus, sure. you know, you, you're adding the kitty into that offense. So I don't think that's a huge deal, but, you know, uh, we'll kind of see how it all plays out. Uh, t- yeah, but that's just kind of how the, the Cook thing is for me. And, but, you know, people, if Cook has one bad game next year, people will be like, we should have given Hunter Henry the $14 billion. <laughs> uh, but, no. Yeah, that, yeah, but I, I was never in favor of that. So I'm fine with the one-year Cook. Um, I would have preferred Ertz, yeah. uh, like, we talked about but i think Cook will be fine in this role yeah, yeah I, I think, 
<laughs> Sorry, Tyler, go ahead. We both think. Now go for it. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, you know, with Jared Cook, I, I think this is, you know, probably the last year. Maybe he has another year after this for him. Um, so you get one year of Jared Cook. You know, you see what you have with Donald Parham. You see what you have in Trey McKitty. And then if you need a better tight end, you can go out and get one. You can go out and draft one early if you want. So um, I think, like we said all along, the signing of Jared Cook just gives them a little bit more time to to figure out what is going on there. So, uh, you know, as we're going through all this, I'm realizing, like, there are a lot of mouths to feed on this offense. And Mm -hmm. so Cook might get, like, 400 yards. Like, it it could be a pretty big drop-off than – a bigger drop off than we think because, you know, Austin Eckler presumably is going to be healthy. You know, you have, maybe you get a bigger step forward from Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson. How involved is Josh Palmer? Mm-hmm. You know, so it, this tight end group might suffer quite a bit. They could be really involved. Um, you know, we will just have to wait and see how that kind of pops up. But I think, you know, it's going to be so much more fun to watch, you know, Cook and Parham work together than it was Henry and Virgil Green. No shade. But, you know, Cook and, Cook and Parham can just do so many more things athletically and, and stretch the field and, and do some things, some great things after the catch. So it, it's going to be fun to watch this position group unfold for sure. Okay, so that's kind of what I wanted to get into next is just for like a last sort of question, thought, food for food for thought sort of thing. And I just started reading that book by Bobby Peters. It breaks down the Packers offense in 2020. Now, granted, I don't know how much the Chargers are going to use of the Packers offense. But, you know, kind of working with the LaFleur offense isn't the worst thing in the world. And one of the things that Packers did better than anybody, according to the author at least, is run mesh, where you're having those two shallow crossing routes intersecting like three yards off the ball. And, you know, now they run more variations than anybody else apparently. But one of the ones they did use was they typically had the Y, the tight end, running one of those crossers and hitting them. Mm. And so, you know, to me, that only triggered something for me because I swear in these practice videos, I am watching – you know, Mike Williams, Donald Parham, these guys run tons of shallow crosses over and over and getting those yards after the catch. And so I'm trying to figure out who, like, you think it's Jared, like you could, Jared Cook could do it. I don't know. Like, is there a guy that's great, like yards after the catch in terms of like a crosser and then back up field there? Is there a guy that can beat man coverage like that on this team in the tight end group? Like, I don't really know. Is it McKitty? Is he more athletic? Is it it's is, Anderson, man. It's Anderson. it's Anderson. Anderson is the best after the catch guy on this on the tight end group, in my opinion. Right. So, I mean, if they decide to go that way, that's obviously you know great for him to make the roster. We didn't think he'd make the roster, but he is like that. That is his thing. So, again, I don't know how much the Chargers are going to run anything the Packers are doing. Obviously, they have their center, so you know some things could help there, I guess. But you know, just food for that. I just saw that, and then watching the practice videos, I swear I'm watching them run a bunch of shallow crossers. So I'm just curious who that guy would be. Maybe it's Anderson. Yeah, I, I think the Anderson thing is actually more interesting. I don't think it's a lock that he doesn't make the roster. I think it's a kind of open question, you know, depending on yeah. who they would keep. I mean, they're going to keep McKitty. They're going to keep Cook. That's, you know, uh, I think we're pretty sure on neighbors. And then that kind of makes it a Cook versus Parham thing, I, I guess, a little bit. Or sorry, not Cook versus Parham. Uh, Anderson versus Parham in the yeah. sense of, you know, if you want want that guy that can stretch the field or do you want that guy who's going to be more of your blocker you know lob it up to him guy um like we saw with parham last year so um i I guess that's kind of the competition but again if they wanted they did keep five tight ends last year including um gabe neighbors at fullback so maybe they do that again 
I, yeah, like I just said, I just don't love the depth on this team to the point where I want to keep that many, especially right. on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, so I'd rather have one more edge player, one more safety, one more corner, whatever it is, than have, uh, you know, I guess both Anderson and Parham. So I guess that's the question is which way does the coaching staff lean? Because it felt like last year's coaching staff leaned pretty heavily towards Parham once once he started catching fire. Um, but I, I don't know kind of what this coaching staff will be in regards to that. Uh, like Tyler brings out, they may want to run more of those mesh routes and more uh, of those kind of stretched field plays, which Anderson, you know, did excel in in those last two games uh, last year. Uh, however, the rest of the season, he had six yards. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's yeah. a tough situation. Um, so I, I don't think it's a lock by any means that Anderson doesn't make the team, but that might be an interesting kind of, preseason battle that nobody's talking about i don't yeah. know well i just think you know obviously I, you know jared cook is not the long-term solution for the chargers but i think him and donald parham are kind of similar in, in terms of skill set and maybe that could lend itself to maybe looking at donald parham as being a little redundant um you mm. know I, I happen to think that you know parham could probably has the best chance of of the other three of being like a future tight end one. Um, so I don't know. That's going to be an interesting conversation because I do think it is a debate that this team will be having because the, the issue with Steven Anderson is that he was so, so bad on special teams. Mm -hmm. But if you're using neighbors and McKitty on special teams then Anderson doesn't have to do that. And so if you're wanting like different kinds of tight ends, right? Like cook, Anderson and McKitty would be three very different tight ends. You can do different things with all three of them. Um, you know, I think Parham and Cook probably is a little redundant. You know, if you're wanting more options, then that's something to consider. Um, but it, it's such a tricky thing to balance, right? Because, you know, like I said, you know, you're hoping that Parham can kind of be your future tight end one, whereas Cook is only for one year. And you just signed Jared Cook. Like, you're not going to cut Jared Cook before you even see what you have. And maybe you're looking at, you know, Donald Parham and Steven Anderson and kind of the same thing. Like we can't really cut them. Like we want to see what we have in them. So maybe they do keep all, all five guys, including game neighbors. I don't know. That's, that's going to be something that they'll have to figure out in training camp. Yeah. I could see them keeping all five. I don't know. Stock up for Anderson. Maybe, maybe they'll keep, maybe they'll keep uh, all six, including uh, Hunter Kempmeyer. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That, yeah, that, that's just me, like, trying to think a little bit outside of the box, thinking that maybe he could be a fullback kind of guy. Um, yeah. But it doesn't seem like he's taking any reps with their running backs, which obviously Gabe Neighbors has. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's been working with a tight end. So uh, it does seem like Gabe Neighbors is safe. And I, I am, like, as, as much as we joke about it, I am excited to see what year two holds for Gabe Neighbors because, you know, I'm fairly confident saying that he's going to be more involved this year than he was last year. Absolutely. And it'll justify the roster spot. Part of my disdain for the from keeping him is they didn't do anything with him. They didn't use him, yeah. And, and so, you know, now you can kind of justify the fact that you have him over Bobby Holly, which it would finally make sense. Yeah. Versatility, Absolutely. baby. <laughs> yeah, too bad Anthony Lynn and company never knew how to use any versatility <laughs> on any spot of a roster. <laughs> oh, boy. Except Easton Stick. Except Easton Stick. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, God. Those uh, oh, man. It's so bad. All right, guys. Any final thoughts before we wrap up today's show? 
Uh, I'll go first. Um, you know, even if the tight end room doesn't quite pan out, you know, as great as we hoped, it's well, they're, what they're spending what seven million dollars on the entire position group as a whole. Like, yeah. even if it doesn't pan out, even if they can only just kind of replicate what they did last year, it's still way cheaper. And so, if they can do it, you know, as a group, it takes a village, a tight end village. That's great. It only cost them seven or so million dollars. Yeah, I think that's true. And even if, you know, let's say Jared Cox, or Jared Cock. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. Oh, yes. Oh, we have our new soundbite. Oh, that's great. Oh, my goodness. All right. All right. Okay. Even even if Jared Cook's production does dip uh, from I think that um, I think that he, let's say he gets 400, 500 yards. Uh, you know, th- that's not going to be too much of a dip from the 600, 700 that Hunter Henry had. And like Steven said, you do have so many mouths to feed on offense against. So many mouths to feed, huh, Alex? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, I can't finish. You guys got to finish the show. Man, you hosted. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe we got through it. This is a miracle that this didn't happen while Alex was hosting. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Good one. Um, But, yeah, I guess kind of finishing this up, I I guess my final thought, you know, (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) All right. All right. Okay. One of the things we talked about with Robert Mays was that, you know, and that we've talked about on the show is kind of that next year, is the push all your chips in year and so um maybe like tyler was saying maybe they kind of are punting the tight end position this year next year there's quite a few options in terms of free agent tight ends um you know jay howard is a free agent hayden hurst is a free agent evan ingram is a free agent david njoku is a free agent mike Siki is a free agent um obviously all those guys have actually hit free agency um, and then, of course, there is uh, Alex's beloved Zach Ertz. So quite a few options next year in terms of free agency, uh, if everything you know goes kind of poorly this year. But um, mm-hmm. we'll have to cross that bridge when we get there. Alex, are you able to, to have any final thoughts now? Yeah, um, just to finish up what I was saying before I uh, aired, uh, there was an error in my ways. Uh, I, I would say... <laughs> Yeah, like even if the production does dip, they do have a lot of guys that they have to get the ball to on offense. And, you know, if Mike Williams has, you know, a lot more yards, let's say, than he did last year, let's say he goes up 200 and maybe Parham goes up, like I don't think it's a big deal that Cook would go down, right? Um, And so I think looking at the production from that standpoint, uh, you know, if this was maybe last year's offense, uh, I think Hunter Henry having a lesser role would – be a big problem or not putting up as many yards, but I think they understand that Jared Cook's a little bit older. Uh, and so I don't, I don't think it'll be a huge deal if his numbers do dip and, you know, they could realistically bring him back next year. I mean, we, we think this will be a one year thing, but it's like, well, if you don't see what you exactly want out of Parham, maybe you don't see exactly what you want out of Kitty yet. And you think that they just still need a little bit more time you know, it's not impossible that they bring it back next year and say draft another tight end or sign another one in free agency. Um, so, you know, I, I think that you just go into uh, the year looking at Jared Cook as kind of, you know, an experiment and, you know, see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, guys, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you for tuning in. Oh, no. <laughs> Jeez. Um, thanks for tuning in for the last few minutes, those of you that have stuck around. Uh, we're going to continue our positional breakdowns from here on out and uh, hopefully get some more interviews that you guys will appreciate. Um, once I don't uh, think the Chargers are going to let us interview Jared Cook. <laughs> I've made him well endowed. There. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. <laughs>